The following is a paid service announcement from Cinema Gush. Every now and again, a movie comes out with dazzling special effects, incredible writing, and amazing performances. Savvy? I'm proud of her. Great performances, her unique voice, What tends to happen is that voice becomes not just part of the character, but a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> Everyone starts doing their own take, emphasizing what makes it unique to them. No one cared about the voice until they heard it on the big screen. But now geeks everywhere are using our likenesses to cause chaos to the dating pool. An attempt at coming close, yes. They only seem to be achieving. But their attempts at executing a martini order turns to an order 66. So please, stop imitating your ass and leave the work to the professionals. Thank you, Inspector Gadget. Thank you. It's not about what I want. It's about what's fair! We're just rolling right along, folks. Welcome to yet another excellent episode of Cinema Gush. I'm Nick. We got Brendan here, and we have today a very, very special guest, a one Mr. Gary Miller. Gary, how are you doing today, sir? Dude, I'm doing pretty good, dude. The the hot summer's getting me a little bit, though. Oh, <laughs> What's yeah. it at in Denver today? Yeah. What is it there? Um, Let me check the temperature. I just know I got outside, and I was like, it's hot. Well, thanks for joining us. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah, let's uh, let's, let's see, mid seventies today, and then we got rain coming tonight. And then Brendan, what about you in Montana? How is it up there? Uh, we were ninety seven today. Is that yeah. a dry heat though? <laughs> <laughs> I have yeah, no that's idea. what every family member always asks when we say, "Well, it's not that bad. It's a dry heat." It's, oh gosh. Sorry, ninety seven's bad whether it's humid or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Hot is hot. Just like this movie, which is hot fire, straight hot fire. Which scares starts me. with fire. Yeah. I mean, right out of the gate. That, I mean, that is the first thing in the screenplay. It's just like the fire and then the explosion and it engulfs us all as we cut to, well, I'll just let Gary tell. Gary is doing The Dark Knight, everybody. And sir, if you would please uh, go ahead and gush away. Um, I think this movie was, was definitely one of those big transcendent movies in my life. I mean, it came out in high school for me. And it came out with so much hype amongst all these other superhero movies in this whole summer. I mean, I think you had um, Iron Man come out at the same time. Right, right. Um, and this one, I remember just being like, like wait, I was waiting for Heath Ledger to come in. Because it had been so, mm-hmm. so much talked about. And I think it was like 27 minutes before he even came in. Or, or like, really? <laughs> and you got to see him with other criminals and stuff like that. And I'm like... The opening scene, I'm just watching all these clowns and everything. And you're like, who's the Joker? Who's the Joker? Where's he coming in? Come on. <laughs> and they're just betraying each other left and right. And like, I hadn't, didn't really get that it was a heat, like kind of homage um, at the oh, time. Yeah. But, um, and I always butcher this, this actor's name, like William Fitchner or William Fickner. Mm-hmm. But he is so good on prison break. And I was like, that's the guy. He is great. He is great. Oh, I loved that show so much. And, you know, all your people are dead. You know who you're messing with? Just so good. So it's so so much fun, I think, when you, like, see an actor, you know, too, and you're like, oh, I know that guy. And then you're, like, (laughs) right back to the movie. Um, Yeah. That whole sequence was just so insane. They're just, like, you know, and it was so thematic of that movie where everyone was just betraying each other left and right. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful to see. And then um, when the Joker finally came in, and you got Michael J. White too, Black Dynamite, another one of my favorite movies. And you're like, oh, that's another. Oh one. man, <laughs> I always forget he's in this movie. And when he shows up, it pleases me so tremendously. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. And then, I mean, I'm just gushing about like one actor right now, but I'm like, it's such a good movie. 
I think it's worth gushing about that one actor. I, th- I think an argument can be made that this is, if not one of, possibly the best performance in Hollywood history here. I mean, it's a hell of a performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, do you remember where you were when you first saw it, Gary? Like, where did you see it opening night? Or, like, what was the scenario where you saw it the first time? I definitely saw it. Um, so, that whole series I was huge, hugely about. But let's flash forward. I mean, like, Dark Knight Rises went, you know, opening night, everything else. This one, I didn't go opening night with the next day. Remember that, going to see it. Um, and I went with, like, my girlfriend and her family. And then I was like, I think I saw it three or four more times. Yeah, man. That rings yeah. true. I think I it saw was the first same First thing boat. on a Saturday morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, there was nobody there, which blew my mind because I heard the Friday was so huge. And then I went and saw it at AMC 24, Ray and, and the I-10 in Phoenix, and uh, middle seat, it was like eighth row. So it was like, it was the perfect, perfect seat. And there was only like six other people in the whole theater. It was an amazing experience and I will never forget it. But yeah, I was, I was an opening night guy and it was a packed house. And man, the energy in that room was just electric. That was a heck of a, heck of a movie viewing. Um, yeah. but you know, I think, I, I think I went and saw it three or four more times too. It was the same thing. It was like, it was so good. You needed to just soak in that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it was one of those movies where I was like, that was, that was only like three hours, but okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a long movie, but it does not feel like it. Yeah. Like I'll oh, sit man. down and watch that movie, like seen a million times and like commercials. It's like one of those movies, like there's commercials. I'm still watching it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh, I got to go to the store. Sorry. <laughs> I turned it on about a year and a half ago as background noise just while I was doing a like a model kit in the foreground and I, I turned it on and about two and a half hours later I realized I hadn't built anything. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's yeah, beautiful. Man. I think there's so many good like quotable lines in there from all kinds. I yeah. mean, I think everybody, myself included for years, was like, Rachel! <laughs> <laughs> Anyone with the name Rachel. Um <laughs> You know, even in my classroom, like when I work as a, as a teacher, I'm like, swear to me. <laughs> it just comes out and you don't even realize it. Cause it's, it's such a cultural thing. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not about the money. It's about sending a message. You know, yep. it just comes out all the time. And I'm like, Joker has so many good principles that I think if you uh, strip away the chaotic uh, madman killer, he, he's yep. got a lot of good moral virtues. We, yeah, we should man. talk about that because I think this movie is at its core about morality. I don't think it offers mm-hmm. any good answers. I think Nolan's best when he's at when he's talking morality, and I wish Nolan would stop talking about physics and just talk about morality. But I think that's what makes this movie so good. Shaking yeah. my head vigorously right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll definitely get to that. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I think you know it's another one of those like everyone has a Gollum voice everybody has their joker voice everybody has their batman voice and and it's just yeah i, I, I disagree often... some of oh, us oh, you have do. their distaste for anybody who has their Gollum voice and their joker voice and their bane voice their borat voice <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah like me yeah, I'll just, I'll, yeah. It, it it really does and like i do look for opportunities i'm i'm often just surrounded by quotes and references and i feel like that's how i speak with like most people and um you know even when i'll do simple batman one and like nobody will react i'm like no no all right moving on you miss all the shots you don't take i i I think though with all the the, so every you're right everybody does imitate the joker and it's got such an iconic sound to it but i think we underappreciate how specific and particular heath ledger was in that performance because he doesn't it is not a sloppy loose 
voice he's doing. It is a very precise, very articulate, very difficult to do right voice mm-hmm. he is doing. Yeah. You can get close to it, but he has got that character is oozing through his lips. There's definitely some goofiness with it, too. I mean, it's still one of the most funny roles, even when he's doing terrible things. Like when he goes to the hospital dressed as a nurse. And oh, yeah, it takes him taking off the mask for Harvey Dent to realize he's the Joker. <laughs> like when he just jumps and his response, his response, I mean, that stuff is so funny to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, we should go through it. You guys want to? Like, yeah, 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 absolutely. Let's, let's break it down. Okay, so we start, we got that huge first moment, which I think you touched on. It's just, it's a great introduction in the movie. And I didn't see Heat till years later. I didn't realize that was an homage as well. But to cut right from that, the first thing I saw, thought while watching this time is how frantic the pacing is in the yes. first, like, 30 minutes. And in a lesser movie, that would not have worked. But it works to this movie's credit because it makes you just feel like oppressed almost. Like the world is falling apart here in Gotham. And I, I love it. I thought I think it really works well for it. Yeah, I mean, we jump right into like Celia Murphy is the very next thing. And and I remember just seeing this and just thinking like, wait a minute. Are you supposed to have the the previous villain from the previous movie come back in? Or is, is that allowed? And then, you know, my dogs are hungry. And then yeah. all the various Batman show up until the real one shows up. Oh. And all of that is in service to the plot. I mean, it tells you so much. It tells you who the, the how, how the city is behaving now. It shows that the city's gotten a little bit more crazy since Batman shows up. There's more drugs in the street. And the mob has gone insane with dogs everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely chaotic. And I think, like, as far as going after the mob money, too, you're kind of seeing this perverted Robin Hood kind of come mm-hmm. out. So you have this street-level hero. And I think it was kind of touched on a little bit in the new Joker movie as well. Sure, sure. I why we like the Joker as well. Like a lot of people, I remember like that was a Halloween character everywhere. Yeah, you know, like you know, like the same way we get into, um, you know, his girlfriend and everything like that. You're like, holy cow, this character is just so charming, so enigmatic, <clears throat> and everything. And Batman is kind of that antithesis, you know, that that um, Dark Knight essentially, and like why we get to that at the end, you know, and it, it's chaotic, and I love it, and. You have that White Knight kind of thematic as well with with Harvey Dent and everything, you know? So you're kind of getting these, not, mm-hmm. but like, there's more to, you know, who you are as a moral person. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and I think, to me, while watching it, the, the, the starkness is, is the, I think the Joker is calling out this notion that, that, everybody's morality is keeps crumbling and you've got the dark knight white knight duality there and the only thing that gets the the hero through is this unflinching morality it's like the rules that cannot be broken is the only thing that allows him to stay pure whereas harvey dent throughout the movie he seems like the more noble character but his morality is bending a little bit all the way through and then he breaks and i love that comparison because the joker in a lot of ways is driving the action the characters are all reacting to it but you get to see one character whose morality is kind of absurdly absolute to a certain degree and one character who flinches and the flinching is what breaks him mm-hmm. yeah and that line you that you hear you know everywhere from just i don't know movie gushing moments like this or even just randomly at like the baseball park of just like you either live live long enough to see yourself become or you know to become the villain, I'm getting this line horribly wrong. <laughs> you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Like he embodies that so perfectly throughout his uh, you know, entire story. Sure. Poor guy. 
Oh, Aaron Eckhart, so good. His I'm best role. So I mean, this is this hair. is a lot of people's best role. Yeah, and yeah. And, and I know we're like going through the plot, but just as far as like transcending the respect for superhero movies, with this one, we had like eight Oscar noms. And yeah, wins, and um, you know, I think per, my personal opinion, I think now with what you're seeing with all these these superhero movies, even the Marvel ones, I mean, the popcorn flicks that they're putting out have a lot of deep kind of moral questions and i think why we we like that idea of the superman you know and like we, mm. w- what we can transcend and become as humans too i think it's starting to really ask those deep deep questions as well i, mean, I think it started yeah, absolutely. with this yeah this definitely took things to a night to another level i mean when i was in high school and going into college like spider-man 2 like you can't beat spider-man 2 like that's yeah as good as it gets and i don't know brendan if we saw spider-man 3 together or not but that was a <laughs> You know, that was where things were in the early 2000s. I, I, I think I've said on the podcast before, but I think Spider-Man 2 is the reason I got into movies. I realized you have a popcorn flick that was handled with a very fine, like a scalpel of editing. The editing was great. The filming was great. It was great filmmaking in a pure popcorn flick. But you're right. That was pretty much what we had. And then this came out. But this isn't almost... It's almost not a superhero movie. Like you could take Batman out of it, and it's yeah. just a damn good crime drama. I mean, it, like when he extradites him. From, I mean, I'm skipping ahead, but like you know, we get to that video conference and stuff. Where like the the monsters are all in there, and I'm like, it's kind of reminiscent like The Wire a little bit. You know, you're just like it's sure. underground a little bit. You know, and like Omar's coming for the money, and everybody's trying to figure out this kind of stuff, and you know, they they get this crap, and it's getting bigger than Gotham in some ways. You're like, okay, you know, now it's like worldly. And yeah. this guy's like, you know, I'll be in Hong Kong. They're gonna not going to extradite a national. And in the back <laughs> of your head, you're like, Batman doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. I, I do notice that this is back in the day when we could still be critical of China in our movies. That can't happen anymore. Yeah, that's kind of oh. and that's kind of a a crazy thing to think about. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you're like, does this movie date itself in some ways? You know? And yeah, it, it's very interesting to think about that that perspective and stuff too. And then. You know, he they, he sends. I think Morgan Freeman is such a gem in this movie. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> he's like, oh, you didn't want me to think he's wasting my time. He's like, yeah, just not deliberately. <laughs> <laughs> he's keeping stuff. Very off. good, Mister Lau. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that guy's. Oh, I mean, every every cast member is good. Like Mister Lau is awesome. Just kills it. Yeah. Yeah, gosh, when they first, you know, when we first kind of get to know Lau up through the TV, I'm sitting there thinking, like, well, how is he seeing the other side? And, like, that's a goodwill TV at this rate. But then, like, you know, Joker comes in and the magic trick. Oh, my gosh. And So uh, I, I think we should actually – that's a, just you mentioned the TV. It's never occurred to me because there's no webcam on that TV, right? Correct, yeah. I, I won't actually jump off that because <laughs> – and we've talked about this recently. There are a lot of little things in this movie that if you take a long time to dissect, don't work. The Joker's plot is very much based on luck. There's little things like that where that doesn't make sense. And there is nothing I hate more and think misses the point more when you deconstruct a movie for all of its flaws and miss the grandioseness of it. Mm-hmm. We, we talked yes. about this recently with Indiana Jones and Indy does no, no motivation on the plot. Like it doesn't affect the plot. Mm-hmm. And, and this movie I've seen people deconstruct and say, one of the ones that stands out to me is the Joker blows up the phone bomb and it knocks everybody out but him. Oh, yeah. You can break this movie down and there are things that are beyond – they're super realistic. And if you care about that, you're going to miss the point of the movie. 
Because there's there's a lot, that, and that's true of most movies. It's true of this movie, and I think none of those things matter because it's the character motivations are so tightly defined and drawn forward. And I, yeah, maybe this is a horrible tangent, but I just, I've seen people deconstruct this movie and say, this doesn't make sense. And the whole thing falls apart. And I hate it because the Joker wouldn't work this way, but I think it misses the whole point. Yeah, definitely little moments like that. Don't, you know, well, I mean, then then you have the complete flip side of it too, right? Where people like they overthink certain things. And this is, I'm just going on record here saying this. I'm, 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 could be wrong, and I, I would bet that I would be wrong, but everybody loves to be like, oh, you know that scene where he walked out of the hospital and then it stopped blowing up? Well, that would actually happen in real life, and then he really hit the button, and then it really worked. I'm like, you don't, you think for one second, a $5 million one-take shot, that they would screw it up intentionally? No, 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 I bet you money they planned that crap. So I, so little <laughs> things little things like that, that people come at me with like their little commentary, or they're like, oh, I found this behind the scenes. I'm like, no, no, no. Nice try. Okay. Okay. Like they didn't, they wouldn't plan that, but whatever. It doesn't matter either way. (laughs) That's really what it comes down to is the fact that you've got an actor that whether or not it was intentional, he played the scene and he played it well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sorry. That's my soapbox. I think that, yeah, I mean, it's everybody in the, I mean, you have so many people in every theater watching it, having a different experience. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so much of me, I mean, like when I go into a movie, a lot of times I'm like, I'm like, it's Batman. I'm like, there's going to be ridiculous stuff, <laughs> you know, like exactly just, I mean, growing up with it. I mean, like when you go from like seeing Batman with nipples and a credit card and everything, right. this is, I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like, I, there's, there's, yeah. I'm willing to be like, I don't care. And oh, is yeah. Batman taken seriously in a really, I don't know. Well, there's the the Hitchcock had the principle, the icebox principle, hmm. where he said no movie makes perfect sense, but if it takes till you get home and you open up the icebox and you stop and think, wait, how did that happen? Then it's <laughs> fine. Everything's good. I just don't like this deconstruction we see on the internet. My, my news feed is filled with, this thing breaks the movie. Did you ever notice this plot hole? And You know what it is? It's that? like when you watch a movie 75 times, you're going to notice stuff. You're going to find oh, it. Yeah, you're going to yeah. find it like just little things. It's like watching Star Wars when you see that stormtrooper hit his head. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. What an idiot George Lucas is. <laughs> it's it's kind of like that in, in that yeah. sense. And, um, I mean, this movie... To say nothing of the fact that the movie's so good that you want to watch it. Yes, it's. I mean, it's just so... I, there, there's some about just a movie. I mean, you know, there's going to be mistakes if you're right, you know, and it doesn't yeah. matter how, how much money they have. There's so many moving parts and just how much they get right on this is so amazing. That's why I can never watch those everything wrong with YouTube things. I, I utterly hate that channel that that guy makes money just doing that for a living. It, ugh. Ugh. I think it misses the point. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry to derail the, the, this on this one, hmm. but I've just seen people talk about how the Dark Knight doesn't make sense. And I'm like, no movie makes sense. They're movies. They're empathy machines, as Roger Ebert would say. Let's just go for this. Hallmark makes sense. You guys are the antithesis to that. You're like, hey, this is why we like movies. If anything, we just had a whole year of a, a, of just staying at home and watching movies. <laughs> so, I mean, they're... they're it was there when we needed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh. to, to say the scene that we were just on, like when he goes, okay, here's my card, a card with literally no information on it whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. Right. Him. 
Um, I think there was <laughs> the a... mobs have to take a mess an ad out in the newspaper to get a hold of the Joker. Yeah, was that one of those how it should have ended videos where the Joker's like, "Here's my card," and they're like, uh, "Contact info, uh, hello, oh, okay, bye." <laughs> that's that's the beauty of it. They're like, "You think you just take your money and get away from it?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah." You know? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Um, because like I think that I've seen other deconstructions where like, where does Joker come from? Because no one really knows, right? There's no like sure. the whole thing. And they're like, um, would they think he was a soldier? That that theory, um, and that based on his line, you know, kill, you know, kill a mayor, and everybody loses their minds. You kill a busload of soldiers, and everybody thinks it's part of the plan. Mm-hmm. And you know, his weapons, tech, and his weapons use, and everything else mm-hmm. that he's able to use. And I'm like, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I I would also be like, well, if he's joining the American military, you know, he'd have to be like special forces and get his stuff cleared and go all the way up to Delta. Yeah. You know what I mean, so there's a lot in the backstory too, where I'm like, oh, you know, you kind of think about that with the Joker. And I think that new Joker movie coming out, you're like, and in some ways I'm like, it's not the Joker. You know, I like the Joker <laughs> that Alan Moore where it's like, it could be anybody. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Because I, I think this takes a lot of inspiration from The Killing Joke, and I think that's a oh, yeah. great way to do that. Well, yeah, so, that. I mean, I'm talking about that Killing Joke, and like, I mean, you have so many places to, to pull from with with the, with the Batman lore and everything, and I think the way they handled, you know, his interpretation, you know, he had so many different stories, you know, want to know how I got these scars, and yeah. the viewer, you're like, I don't know who this guy either, it's so... It's just it's terrifying. I think it's it's those sequences are they're like horror. Like, yeah, well, it makes him a force of nature. It makes and I think you you mentioned this before that that he has these principles and having a villain that is principled almost make. I mean, it almost makes him godlike in some way, like a, an mm-hmm. evil god. But it's it's this this principled moral being. Whether or not it's a good morality, I I I love that. You don't know who he is. You don't know where he's coming from. Um, it's like a god of destruction, you know. Yeah. Right. Out of just. There's some of my favorite villains. Anton. Sh- he's, Anton Chigurh was the same year in No Country for Old Men, wasn't it? Or is it? It was within a year of that. So he's around there, and he's like, a, you know, god of death. I mean, even with his haircut and everything, too. Right. Very <laughs> similar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that kind of that kind of villain is it's it's. It's so terrifying. I mean, like Michael Myers. I'm like, I don't want to know about his like, you know, curses, <laughs> his backstory, or anything or backstory. Yeah. I just want to see this like pure evil you can't get rid of, and it's that's so terrifying. It holds a mirror up to to the society that and the 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 morals that we hold, and I I don't think this movie offers any easy answers. Yeah, so and I love not. that. I mean, the easiest answer is really just to take a whole yacht full of ballerinas and just go out onto the ocean. I think that's the easiest answer. Yeah, cause, <laughs> I mean, because when we talk about like when he like when part of that plot too is like identity, you know, and Batman wanting to reveal his identity and you know how much that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, so um, and and you know, Dent takes the fall for him. And everyone says, "I'm Batman." <laughs> That scene is so great, too, because everyone's just so thrown when he's just like, okay, arrest the Batman. And, like, nobody's like, wait, what the hell is he talking about? And, like, you know, good old Christian Bale's about to start walking forward, and then, nope, Harvey's just saying, I'm the Batman, you know. And, ugh. No one and questions the, it. <laughs> that yeah. sequence. Yep. The, the sequence that follows is one of the best sequences. That's one of the best car chases. When we lose Gordon, like, I believe, right. we lo- I mean, I believe that Gordon was dead for sure. I had one problem there. 
Because I remembered in the trailer him saying all of in his pockets was lint and knives in the theater. So I knew Gordon couldn't be gone because we've seen another scene with him. Oh, yeah. I was so mad that I remembered that in theater. But I, I know when they're doing the, the car chase. Yeah. See, that? okay, this is funny because I remembered it during that scene. So I thought Gordon wasn't gone. But then that car chase started and I completely forgot that I got terrified that the movie was about to end. Because I wanted this to go for another hour and a half, which it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but that man. car chase scene. Good like, lord, all that's those, good. All those hits, too. I mean, it's just like so much. I mean, you're saying, I'm not referencing, too. I'm like, it's like Breaking Bad. Yeah. It seemed like just all these guys are getting wiped out left and right. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. How does this guy have this much power? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it just gets there and like he's killing all these these wannabe Batmans and you know, that that scene was just the phone. He's just like, hello? What? (laughs) We got to talk about the interrogation scene. Yeah. Well, before we get there, I have to say, since we were just talking about the car chase scene. Yeah, please. One of the few times, I don't know if I yelled at the, I'm trying to remember if I yelled at the screen or not, but I just remember when that semi flipped. And it was like the dead center of the shot. I remember being in the theater being like, oh, my God. Like, I said that out loud. Because, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, I think Nolan is so good at, like, finding those shots. You know, regardless of the movie, like, he always has, like, this one kind of holy hell, I never thought of it that way thing. And, like, that perfect flip of that semi-truck. Like, I just lost it in the theater when that happened. And, I, you know, Brendan, like you, I saw that part in the trailer. But boy, did I forget but about it in that moment screen. when it happened. Jeez. Holy crap. How it built to it. And then, like, he had the bat cycle that came from the tumbler. And he yeah. went off the wall with it. And, like, how first. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Hold under. And it was like, oh, my God, this is the <laughs> coolest Batmobile <laughs> in the history of the Batman movies. Yep. Come on, hit me. Hit me. <laughs> we got to talk about that, actually. So before we get to the interrogation scene, I... And maybe this is just me and my stupid friends, but I don't know any but any scene that people misunderstand so consistently than that scene. Really? People seem to point to that he, the Joker's depressed and he's suicidal and he just wants Batman to kill him. Oh, okay. And and that's absolutely not what's going on there. Yeah, where's the code? Exactly. He he wants to break the man. He wants to show that the morality is worthless. He's willing to die for that, and I. I think that's so great. Going back to the killing joke, I, I love the principle of the killing joke is that the only thing different between you and me is one bad day. And to show that the only thing keeping people good is one bad day away from, from destruction. Ooh. I think that scene is so such good, does such a great job of showing character. Mm-hmm. And you talk about like that one bad day and you're like, Batman had one bad day. He's had numerous bad days. Yeah. yeah. And that code and ethic has guided him through. And I think what 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 makes that work, and I think I think the movie's getting at this. I, I don't like I said, I don't think there are easy answers, and there's always counterpoints. But I think the movie's getting at the fact that Batman never bends that code is the reason why having a bad day doesn't break him. Until Batman v Superman, and then he just shoots everybody. All right, well this podcast <laughs> is over. Let's go home, people. <laughs> Case closed. This has oh, been the series God. finale. We've enjoyed having you guys here. <laughs> yeah, bullshit. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, to the interrogation scene again, like another moment where, well, just right before when, you know, um, Gordon gets promoted to commissioner and he's the only one clapping, you get that moment of like, okay, he's, he's kind of up to something here. And then gosh, in the interrogation scene, when that light flips on and Batman's right behind him, it just chills. Oh gosh. I, I still think we should have an Oscar for best scene of the year. Cause that, that's a, that's a best scene of the decade, right? You there. want it more than an MTV movie award? 
Best huh? kiss. <laughs> I think it's an MTV Movie Award Is for it? best scene. I think. Something. It, it just seems like we should celebrate that because that, I mean, every moment of that scene is pitch perfect. Everybody's yeah. acting's on. Everything that's happening is going perfect. Yeah. It's one of those scenes I think, like, it'll just be referenced throughout time, I think. Almost, almost a little bit, like, in some ways, I think it it did reference it, but, like, Jerry Maguire and that. He's like, you complete me. Right. And the whole thing, you know, it's just, like, so similar. You're, like, just so quotable. He's like, you know, never start with that. <laughs> so you <just laughs> dying the whole time. It's too fuzzy. Oh <laughs> he's like, <God>. see? <laughs> <laughs> Immediately clear-headed. Oh my god! But, but everything, part of it. I mean, there, there's that moment where he throws him against the wall, and I didn't notice until this time. But the glass falls, and that's the glass he's using to hold the guy hostage. Fifteen minutes later, I mean, it, it's it's everything is choreographed perfectly. Yeah, I think huh. uh, just as far as I guess, like what's so intriguing about the Joker is like he just knows so much about interrogation too, and like techniques and everything. And you're uh-huh. like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. You know. The burning question of the whole movie is, who is this guy? Even when they bring him in, they're like, what do you got? Nothing. No fingerprints. No nothing. Just invisible. Is it? I mean, it's in the way that like you mentioned it earlier, Brendan, with No Country for Old Men, like he's just like Antoine in that way of just like he's just a force of nature. Like he could just be literally seen as death or as demonic or whatever. Like he's just this force that plows through. Um, and I love the, the dynamic of that sequence, the way that he flips it from Batman was all calm. It's like, you want me? Here I am. To be like, where are they? By the very end of it. Just, uh, you know, I thought you really were Dent. Oh my gosh, he just has it all sorted out. Yeah, and just uh. like making him choose between it, and then, um, I mean, that sequence. I, I mean, we really haven't talked about Rachel at all. Yeah, you know, and I think that was kind of like the different casting a little bit too. I like almost forgot. I was like, oh, that character was in the first one. Scientology <laughs> does it to you every time. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, and I, mean, I, I think it was a great casting. I, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal does an amazing job. She she kind of oozes that attorney swagger that I think the character needs, mm-hmm. especially when she's in, when she herself is interrogating Lau. Like the, she's so casual with him and just like oh, she just kind of gets him to give in. Like she's awesome. Absolutely. And it's like her. I mean, her and Den are like fighting at the legal route, and it's like we're at we're at a realm too where like even the mob is, you know they're they're out of their their element with this and then like this is a batman and joker thing and yep it gets to that point where like all right this city this is a, an environment in which you need a character like batman mm. you know and i think even that first one you know batman begins it was kind of like okay the stakes are high but they're you know you're kind of like okay it's a comic book movie. yeah it's a comic yeah. book. this one it gets to some fear gas in the water yeah, yeah you're like oh yeah poison the water supply they do that every episode you know right. <laughs> especially the old batman show whereas i feel like this movie is you're not poisoning the water supply you're breaking an entire city's core yeah mm-hmm. like will to live and i think i think you you see it as far as like the psychology of a community can be destroyed so easily Mm-hmm. Um, you know, terrorism and, and, you know, mass shootings as things not to get too dark, but it's like, you can mm-hmm. see what it happens right. with, with these people with these belief systems and, um, Batman being there, you know, it's this, this force, he's another force of nature and an immovable object, you know, these kind of things. And that's what we're kind of seeing in this. You're seeing, um, I think 
we talk about Nolan's physics, I'm like, his physics are best when he handles them in the real world and not trying to theorize about them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We're almost not make a Sudoku puzzle of a movie. But a building blew up and then it went back together and then it blowed up again. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, um, yeah. Um, and, and what you say about the society is dead on because the sequence with the, the, the ships, of course, you know, you have the opportunity where you have the prisoners and you have the, the regular citizens and everybody is acting the exact way that they would expect. And we're not going to talk about it. Well, we should talk about it. And we, of course, we have a diplomatic vote system and then they're all trying to like, you know, get on that guy. And then, oh my gosh, yet another one of those moments that I just... Again, in the theater, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, when he threw out the trigger out the window. What a cathartic moment that they build up to so well. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. So tense. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, you're just like, oh, man, they're going to make the wrong decision. You're just thinking they're going to do that. And it'd be hard to blame them, to be honest. I mean, it'd be hard to blame them. And it's that that old, like, uh, train, you know, question you ask, you know, Someone you know on one side versus like five strangers, you know, which one lane are you going to choose? Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think like we kind of train ourselves to say this or that. You know, we mm-hmm. always think, oh, it's only this or that. And I think Batman, in, in some ways, he's like, you know, he's a step ahead at all times. He's an excellent strategic planner. And you kind of look at things a different way. And we're like, no, there is there's always a different path. And it might not be the most pretty it might not be the path you're, you're thinking that's morally right. I think there's a lot of stuff Batman does. You're probably like, that's not very ethical. Um, yeah. especially it's definitely not law, law enforcement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but it is necessary for the larger yeah. view. But I think that's that's what I was trying to get at before is I feel – I think he, does, he, he may break my ethical code or your ethical code, but he's consistent to his ethical code. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's – that's what we get to see is the Joker's consistent to his ethical code. He's definitely not consistent to my ethical code. And so you get two, two characters where they don't flinch bashing against each yeah. other. And it and makes the questions like, okay, where, where are the codes? What transcends money? Sure. This kind of thing, you know, and I think money is such a precious, precious thing for most of this movie. It's such a driving force for all these characters, you know, taking the money to Hong Kong, hiding it away, stealing the money, all these things. Finally, it just burns it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Important to begin with. And Lau was on top of that pile, wasn't he? I think it was Lau, and then he killed the Chechen with the dogs because he starved <clears> the dogs. He's like, see how loyal a uh, hungry dog really is. That's right. Yeah. I just, I remember like Lau being on the, I think he was like on a chair, like tied up to the top of the money pit, but you never hear him like screaming or anything for them to like pause and then look up then and go back to their conversation. But, um, he's a squealer. He'll squeal, you know. And- <laughs> Yeah, man. Ah, oh, just he got his half, and that was a hell of a half a pot of money. There was a on the, on the Facebook page. I like to post memes from um, a subreddit called Shitty Movie Details, which is <laughs> the opposite of movie details of like super cool things that you know you catch sometimes and people share with the community. On the other hand, is this community <laughs> where the one from The Dark Knight was um, the movie cost 180 million dollars because uh, he. Um, Heath Ledger was a method actor, and he wanted to burn half the budget. Like that was one of the <laughs> crappy movies. <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, just yeah, uh, that. I don't know. Like in the future, like not just like our cinema experience, like we're talking about this, but like in the future, and like there's that um, myth that like he was like so into character they lost himself, and 
Mm-hmm. You know, there was like him talking in his normal voice behind the scenes and skateboarding and stuff right. like that. You know yeah. what I mean? It was just like it doesn't seem like that's true from everything I can tell. Yeah, I got blown out of proportion. I think I think with method acting, and I don't think by and large we understand acting technique in some ways. And I think we keep that a certain way to keep the mystique of acting. But I mean, a lot of times it's like like um, Robert Mitchum was usually like, just know your lines, show up, and deliver them. I was about to say, was that how you were trained, was show your lines and... No, but, like, that's, like, some people are that way, and it's just like, wow, you're such a good actor, you know? But, like, Heath Ledger, a guy like that, you know, is probably digging more from, like, emotional recall and stuff like that, trying to dig into it, and also just doing research. I mean, a lot of times, like, they're like, oh, you're a method actor. I'm like, he's just doing research. Like, he's getting into it, he's, you know, talking that voice all the time. He's, he's training your body. I mean, it's like being an athlete. You're going to practice. And, and there's there's definitely a difference between your method actor that is is using a technique to get into character and your method actor that is uh, telling everybody about his method acting and making sure you all know about it and you're going <laughs> to refer to me as my character name even when you run into me in the bathroom. We talked about that weekend. with the Back to the Future episode. Eric Stoltz was fired off of the first Back to the Future and Tom Wilson, who played Biff, said that he was all Mr. Method. He's like, you have to call me Marty and things like that. <laughs> So I'm thinking specifically about an actor who, after Heath Ledger, was the next character to, actor to play the Joker. Jared Leto's, the stuff he said was insufferable. <laughs> and you're like, did you really have to do that? You know what I mean? And like, we're just mm-hmm. looking at like what what Ledger did and like his approach to it, and even like Christian Bell. I mean, mm. I think Christian Bell was like, I, you know, did ride alongs with police, and you know, I was like. <laughs> Beating up criminals left and right. I mean, it's just, it's asinine and stupid. Hang out with Dog right. the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> I was oh sitting on rooftops catching criminals. Yeah, I think the thing with Method, too, and Brennan, we talked about this, I think, once before, but just that, um, that movie that really, um, it's that horror one that you've mentioned many a times. Um, who did Midsommar? Horror What's... one. Oh, Ariaster. Right? The first one was Hereditary. Hereditary, um, yeah. You have that sequence where, um, I cannot think of the actress's name, but the lady who plays the mom in that movie, there's a sequence where this horrible thing happens, and it's like the most horrible thing happened, and you see it happen, and like it's her reaction to it, and if you watch the behind the scenes of it, like you well, first you see the movie, and the sequence is horrid, and she's doing this amazing performance, and then you watch the behind the scenes where she's doing this, like, a mother has lost her child thing, and she has seen the body of the dead child, and she's doing this breakdown thing, and as soon as they call cut, she's like, well, how was that? You know, and she just, she didn't go that way. She, it's that whole, you know, it was that complete opposite. So there, There's a there's a story from Saving Private Ryan that some of the cast members tell about. And I don't know what scene it was exactly where Tom Hanks is is telling a joke. And the director says, no, we got we to gotta film, action. And he immediately starts weeping or dying or something really intense. And they all cut and he's right back to his joke. <laughs> Uh, the, you mean Steven Spielberg, the director, Brendan? Is that who you meant to say? The director. Who's the Who's the director of Saving Private Ryan? It's, it's some no name guy. <laughs> no, I, so, I like that. And I, I I get the feeling like this was like maybe more one of those movies, but I think the mystique grew a little bit. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure Heath Ledger was intense when he was getting into character, but it also seemed like he was just good at his job. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, somebody will. Have, I'll correct this later if I'm incorrect. But I believe the the sleeping pills that he took were the same that killed Michael Jackson. It had that such an overcoming effect on the human body. Like you just kind of 
went comatose and then died. So, but I don't want to go too dark on that. But just I remember that day when he passed away. Like I was literally doing dishes at my duplex in Steubenville, and my roommate Bill, who is on the show right before this episode, uh, came in. He's like, "Dude, Heath Ledger's dead." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Like that. Oh my gosh, that day. And they have his final interview too um, on YouTube that you can watch. Like four hours before he was found dead, like he did this last interview, and it's you would just you wouldn't have suspected. Well, I just think it does him a disservice. I yes. think by saying that that the rule killed him instead of uh, you're dealing with every, all of our lives have issues. And if you're having trouble sleeping, let's not blow this out of proportion. It seems like the guy was having trouble sleeping. Mm-hmm. I've had trouble sleeping before. Yeah. There was an actor who died of like sleep apnea too. It was like around the same. Sure. Too, and um, he was in uh, the, the dentist killer movie. It was like uh, darkness falls. Like that lead actor died of like sleep. Okay. You know. Oh yeah, that's right. And it just happens, and and I, yeah, I think part of it too is like you watch this movie, and it was almost like watching you know Peter Finch and in, in, in Network. You know, you're just like you can't take your eyes off this guy. And he was another mm-hmm. one who won, won posthumous, uh, you know, Oscar Best Supporting Actor. You know, and you're like, you know, you're just looking at it, and you're like, wow, I wish you were still here because this is like because you're incredible it's like watching and, yeah. something burn so bright that you're just like i can't believe yeah it. like this is like and you're gone you know what i mean like it's it's one of those I, rare rare things in life I, can't, I just i can't think of another role where an actor seemed to so dissolve into a character so completely he's not heath ledger in this movie at any point like redefine the character almost yeah or like you see it in comic books now and like people's interpretation where they're like oh, that was like definitive right for an era and and perhaps a generation you know you look at how like Cesar Romero and, and Jack Nicholson were and they were very similar and you're like oh the Joker's this comical laughable guy and then Heath Ledger comes and you're like whoa what is even more impressive is he you're right he did redefine the character but he also found a through line of truth to the character that retroactively you can find him in the past versions of the character, if that makes sense. Like, we all frame it on him, but it's consistent and revolutionary at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's that, there's that one moment, like, during the, the funeral march when, you you know, he doesn't have the makeup on, where it's like, okay, that that is Heath Ledger. But it's the only time. That the I only time, yeah, because with the, with the makeup and... You know, I, I know he has long hair, but even with the long hair, like and and the a constant wet look to it, you're just I I never saw him. Like it's oh. but you have to try and tell even there because the character is. I don't think it's the makeup that makes it hard to tell it's him. It's mm-hmm. his performance. His performance yeah. is so in, awe inspiring. I mean, the way he holds his shoulders in scenes. It's not just yeah. yeah. It's like Some, even. I mean, what's I mean? You grow up with these actors. And you kind of see these, you know, in these, in this, in this film, you know it's a film, and you're you're not you're not dumb. You just you you know it's a movie, right? It's art, but you go in it, and after like, you know, ten minutes, you're already like, this is a world, you know, and it's just built just because the way you know it's filmed, the the cinematographers, you know, the actors, everybody just creates this this whole amazing amazing world and and heath ledger with it you're just like holy i forgot you were in 10 things i hate about you yeah (laughs) a knight's tale yeah Oh, a knight's tale you know completely forgot how good looking you are yeah (laughs) i too felt that way but uh, (laughs) other things disappearing like we had to i have to mention wally fister who is um nolan's go-to cinematographer and just i never really stopped to analyze shots he just does the job it's like 
this is not a good example. But it's like he's the Ringo of the Beatles, where like Ringo gets ripped a lot for being just like, oh, I did a song about a walrus. It's like, good, that's going on the fridge. But like Ringo did exactly what was necessary for every freaking Beatles song. Wally is the exact same way. There's nothing like some shots are very gorgeous and the centering is very beautiful, especially with the semi truck flip. But it's like he also does exactly what is required. Sure. As a, you know, as the cinematographer. Well, so you, I, yeah. you can tell a Nolan movie by looking at it and. He has to take yes. a lot of credit oh for gosh, that. Yes. I mean, the, the, Nolan is definitely an auteur in every way, but the cinematography has a consistency that is, I, I don't know. I was thinking while watching this movie, can you, if, if, if like, let's, let's pretend this is an obscure movie that most people haven't seen. Okay. If somebody saw this movie, said they really like it, can you think of anything else to recommend them to? I, I, in my mind, I'd say there's there's themes like there's themes in in Untouchables that we mentioned Heat, but there's not really any movie other than maybe The Dark Knight Rises that even comes close to what this movie feels like. It, it's yeah. it's yeah. um it's its own thing. I mean, you have superheroes, crime. I mean, you have so much in here. But just the atmosphere. Yeah. yeah, I can't think of any movie that has an atmosphere like this. I mean, it, I it, it is yeah. like you look at like all the stuff Batman gets. It's like you know, paramilitary stuff and like anti-terrorist type stuff. You know, mm. and like CIA level like technology, and you're like, holy cow! You know, it's so grounded, but you're like, you know, maybe like it's like Mission Impossible and James Bond and Heat and Batman mm-hmm. and all these things in one package. You're like, holy cow! This is- yeah. And even for the atmosphere, I would say that's why I'm kind of a Nolan apologist most of the time. Because I most of the time I am too. Well, I love Interstellar for an example. I know a lot of people don't like that. I, I love a lot love of Interstellar, Interstellar, Inception. Those movies have that feel and the, and the shots. You know, it gives you that. It's really his own brand. You know, even in, gosh, I mean, even Memento, you can really mm-hmm. kind of see a lot of this. Of that. Yeah. In, yeah. Um, what was his Robin Williams movie? Insomnia. Oh, um, his, uh, yeah. Yeah. His, yeah. It's just, I don't know. There's a there's a pacing. The thing is, is I, everybody watched this movie and realized that what we need. Remember the big rash of dark, gritty movies like washed out color palettes and grittiness yeah. that came after this movie. And that's what Hollywood always does. Something successful, how can we copy it? But it's easy to say you missed what made this successful because I still can't tell you what made this successful. I can't tell you what magic sauce Nolan has. I don't understand it. I, nobody else does it, and I can't. I don't know. I mean, yeah. As far as casting, I mean, what gets lost, and I haven't talked about it yet, too, is like um, his associates, Morgan Freeman, right? Mm-hmm. Kills it. You know, when, when um, Reese tries to blackmail him, and he's like, you know, you're, so you're your boss. Dresses up <laughs> as a bat and beats criminals to a bloody pulp. And you know, your plan is to blackmail him. You want to blackmail this person? Good luck. Good luck. You know, and he just sends it, and you're like, oh god, that's so funny. I do mm-hmm. think some of Nolan's humor falls flat. That is gold, man. That makes me laugh every time, like heartily. Yep. And just how Alfred is with Michael Caine. I mean, I'm like, and how you have that backstory of Michael Caine being, you know, before me at SAS. You know, right. the guy who gets it, and he's talking about the guy in the jungle, and you understand the Joker a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, just want some men just want to watch the world burn. You know, yeah. how'd you get it? He's like, we burned the jungle down. You know, and you're, oh. and you're like, kind of thing. You're like, okay, does Batman have to go past that limit? He doesn't want to go. What's the cost? Mm-hmm. 
Yet another line that you hear all the time is some men just want to watch the world bur- the world burn. I mean, <laughs> I wish that wasn't as applicable as often as it seems to be. I know. It's like, I mean, even when you just walk into a bathroom, you're like, oh, thanks for not flushing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just saw a local news story. I think it was out of Kansas where a Home Depot had a bomb threat. And as they get, go through the story, like it ends with like the guy had told people to clear out of the bathroom because he was, quote, fixing to blow it up. Yeah. That, oh, I remember that story. That's a great news story. Yeah, so some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> hey, that oh, guy he's like, I'm going to drop a bomb in here. Man. Yep. Yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> fixing to blow it up. Oh. Yeah, there's just, yeah, every, every, I think every scene has something. Just scene to scene, just brilliant. Was there it anything really that you guys saw... This time, and I'll start with this just to give you a second to think, but was there anything that you saw in this feeling that you didn't catch before? And what it was for me, and this is stupid, I'm sure, but what the first Joker, like, paranormal activity video he does with the guy, I didn't realize that that was the freaking guy who's like, who gives you the right? I didn't put that together. Oh, really? I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe I, I was just, like, super paying attention this time. But I was like, oh, Okay, that's who that is. During that scene, I turned to my wife. So I, I've heard behind the scenes that, that that Nolan basically lets Heath Ledger do what he wanted in those scenes, like just go for those scenes. Mm-hmm. And so I turned to my wife, and my first thought is, I would love to see an interview with a guy playing Batman in that role. How great would it be if, if yeah. he, Heath Ledger is allowed to do whatever he wants? How terrifying would it be to be that role? Yeah, mm-hmm. Where you, just, you just have to be ready for whatever that, that actor is going to throw you. You know Senator Leary, the Batman fan who's been in like every Batman movie. Like he's no. in Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, The Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Dawn of okay. Justice. He he's gone on record as saying that he's looking terrified that th- that's his best role because he didn't have to act. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. I think oh. uh I mean, there's so much. I mean, where I I don't have too much like attention to detail where I'm like, oh, the cup changed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, but I think just not seeing in a while too. I was like, just just the 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 car chase with everything too, and you're like thinking of the bad name. Whereas I'm like, oh, which cops are still there and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm just kind of paying attention to the through lines and everything like that. And then I think with with the world, especially when you see the new Batman with like Bat Bat Ben Affleck and stuff like that, and you're like, could this guy still build like a Justice League? You know, if like Nolan had like the Justice League in there, would he fit in there? You know, anything? And I think that's interesting questions. And I think that I've kind of viewed it through a different lens now. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, there's tons of little stuff that I'm thinking, forgetting now, but I, I think the same, like you were saying, I was struck by how much of the, the themes play out from the very beginning and they're touched on over and over and over again. And right to the last moments of the film. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just it's a very it's a very well crafted movie yeah, in every way the, possible and the script is amazing to read and study um i think there are some writers that listen to this podcast that i can't recommend getting a copy of the script enough to watch the the brevity and the choice of words and just how brief everything is um and you really get by reading the script you really get what Heath brought to the performance because there are so many different lines in that script that you could read a different way in your head, but the way that he took it wasn't the way that you would go for it. It's like, you know, you try it one way and then you try it a different way. And like his was like the fifth of the sixth or seventh different way of trying a certain line because some of the stuff reads totally different than what they ended hmm. up shooting. Um, so you really kind of get a glimpse of his performance and the way that he would evaluate and think lines through and things like that. So I highly recommend the script. It's long, but it is absolutely worth the study. 
I should get that. That sounds like a delight. So we should touch a little bit. Now, personally, this is this is controversial. Oh, I, for one, think The Dark Knight Rises this is a decent movie. I don't think it's a bad movie by any stretch. You're just saying um, that because we're in it. That's what I want. We have to talk about the fact that we're in we The Dark Knight to. Rises. We have to talk they about got, the fact we got to mention that, right? I mean, Did we mention that in season one? I don't know. Were you guys in the, the football scene? We, were we in sure the were, scene. yeah. You can't find us. It's impossible to find us. It was us, a 16 hour day. Um, that was a great we, day. We slept like three hours the night before. We got there at like four o'clock in the morning and to the way we all... some parking lot with the buses. Yep. The, the peak Pittsburgh Steelers in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Those, no, that's, that's the Gotham Rogues. I'm yep. a huge Gotham Rogues fan. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and gosh, now maybe that's why I hold so tightly to the whole hospital thing wasn't an accident because I mean, they told us Brendan when they were shooting that they're like, okay, this is a $2 million shot. We have one take at this. Please, please don't mess this up for us. See, I had uh, heard the way I heard the story and I had gotten it from the Blu-ray is not that sure. it, it was an accident. It was that it, there was a delay that was longer than they anticipated. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And he played that brilliant. Yeah. Well, oh and that's part of the problem because you know, they demolished a hospital for that scene. Yeah. Well, are you sure it wasn't a parking garage? I don't I know what it was. They demolished something the for that scene. Something they actually blew up for that scene. Yeah, I think it was a parking garage in downtown Chicago that had been... Because you can see it when the windows blow out. You're like, okay, that's definitely a parking structure. Um, but I remember definitely. when that was in the Chicago Tribune, too, and they're just like, hey, there's going to be an explosion. Don't worry about it too much. <laughs> I think when I was living out in Chicago, too, I like noticed... But I'm like, oh, this is where this happened and stuff like that, you know? And mm-hmm. it was definitely interesting how like every city was different. You know, like you talked about Dark Knight Rises being more Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, and uh, seeing how that, that city played a character too yeah sure when they had chicago in the dark knight rises you're like there's a reason they have chicago i mean chicago is a notoriously historically violent crime-ridden city mm-hmm. not just recently you know and it were like valentine's <laughs> day is a massacre you go back to you know john john rooney and rock island and you know al capone and those guys but it's been there forever yeah. back to firefighters they earn their name from starting fires and meeting up beating the crap out of each other it's just a crazy city and i think it helped out he does capture that city as a character yeah was it was it a different city every i think it was a different city every batman right because it was like chicago for dark knight pittsburgh for dark knight rises and then he's he's a mixture i think in all of them but i think he it was a different main city it says london chicago and iceland for batman begins all right there we go so yeah gosh Anything. What else, Gary? What else? What else are you just like ah foaming at the mouth for? Um, I mean, dude, it, it, it's kind of. I think we kind of summed up a lot of it. I mean, you get to the ending and everything too. I think what what was the best for me too is like the trust he had. Cause he almost broke that line when he had you know his his and and I gotta say it kind of touches on like the Bush era politics that kind of came out when you have you know like the Patriot Act and everything out and he's like tapping into phones and everything and mm-hmm. he gets yeah. this system where he can tap into every single person's phone. In Gotham, and at that time period, you're like, "What? That's so futuristic." As we all, you know, nowadays, we're living in that. Um, <laughs> and he turns it into that sonar feature, and you know, Lucius is like, "I can't be a part of this as long as it is." That okay? Put in the code. Put in the code. You'll trust me. You know. That's yeah. the thing I I noticed for the first time watching this time. I What's never that? realized how much that calls back to their conversation at the restaurant where Harvey's talking about. 
um, Caesar taking power and not giving it up. Because it's the same thing where Batman has taken supreme power and he gives it to somebody who doesn't want it. It's like, just as far as Batman's character, and I was like, they got his character. Because Uh he's a guy who has contingency plans to kill Superman. You know, (laughs) this is that kind of guy. (laughs) And like, and I think Batman, we'll probably say a bunch about that, but I mean, how they handled it in, you know, the comic books, you know, with like Frank, Frank Miller's, you know, the Dark Knight, it was just brilliant. Uh, Absolutely. But in this, in this sequence, you know, he just goes in there and he's taking people out left and right, you know, and it's, it's, it's like watching a video game, just how precise it is. Yeah. Beautiful. That's great. The Joker is there, but the Joker just has a crowbar and dogs, and it's still formidable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gosh. Well, I think it captures what makes the Joker formidable is, again, because Batman has the code. So if you're fighting somebody who doesn't have a code or has has an antithesis to your code, it makes it yeah. actually makes it difficult. And I think they capture that really well. Yeah. And I, I think I think it was just brilliant how they, they handle that all. And then you get to the end with, you know, two-face finally there and i kind of wish two-face lasted longer but i mean he went through the you know killed maroney and all those guys and i was sure they were going to set him up for the sequel because i knew how much the long halloween inspired nolan and that's how they did that there and so it was shocking to me that they played that out so much yeah well i mean you could just tell they weren't expecting Heath to die like as soon as that the last part with the joker with that amazing shot where they turn him right side up and he's laughing and then it Cuts away, I was like, out. oh, man, they definitely had more plans for him. Damn it. I, to, I, to a degree, but I, I, I think one of the merits I got to – credits I got to give Nolan is he does not leave any money on the table. Well, no, he I burns mean, it all. He burns it all. <laughs> it was definitely resolute, but, yeah, I get what you're saying, too. You're like, oh. Sure. Like the option. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely concluded that story, but you definitely had that option, and you're like – the only way, even with that character, I mean, you'd have to put him in Florence Supermax with every other mass terrorist. You know, that's like... <laughs> apparently they address his his outcome in the novelization because movie novelizations are very important. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'll see, <laughs> I'm I got my copy of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the novelization showing up in my house tomorrow. Oh, he sure he jumped ahead, <laughs> letting us know what you're about to enjoy. Uh, oh, no, well, sorry. I was just... well, hey, we got two little games we like to play here. Uh, unless there's anything else you want to say? No, no. I mean, I, you could talk for days on this movie, but I, I think we got to conclude it because you you might come back to it. Who knows? <laughs> it's true. It's very true. Well, well, I'm gonna have you tell us a number between one and and by the way, this is our biggest cast list of all time. One and one thousand seven hundred and ninety four. Thirty two. 32? Oh, that's acting territory, you son of a bisque. All right. <laughs> uh, wow, okay, we got little James Gordon, played by Nathan Gamble? Let's see here. Let's see if this loads. He becomes yes, a serial killer son, yeah. in the Zack Snyder comics. Nathan Gamble, yeah. Nathan Gamble, who played little James Gordon. He was also in Dolphin Tale 2 and Bones, and he's in The Goldbergs. Um. He's in the show called Hank. Oh, Gosh. now he's like an adult. Weird. Well, it's not that weird. People age. No, they don't. <laughs> not not when you see them in movies. Well, gosh, who was it the first movie? It was uh, Joffrey, King Joffrey, wasn't it? Oh, that's right. He gives the tech gizmo to. Mm-hmm. 
That's right. So, Nathan, thank you for being in The Dark Knight, man. That sequence where, oh, man, he had to, like, crank him in, too, with, like, Harvey at the very end. And, um, yeah, he was he was very good as James Gordon. Yeah, he so. did a good job. He does a really good job. Yeah. So, Nathan, thank you for being in this movie. I'm glad that you're still working, man. Keep up the hustle, good sir. Keep up the hustle. Brendan, All I'll right. go your way. So, next game. I need you to pick a number one through three. Here you go. These are these are your options. Let's mix them up. We're holding up pieces of paper for those of you. Hear it? Hear it? All right. I need one through three. What's it going to be, Gary? What's it going to be? One, two, three. 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 All right. <laughs> it, just, it just says up and then you explode like the man. <laughs> I, I would like you to say something nice something about nice. date movie. Um. No, go deeper. Do better than that. Go deeper. <laughs> I think Allison Hannigan is a, a wonderful in everything she does, including that movie. <laughs> very good. Very good. Wow. Yeah, that's a hard one, man. We could have gone the easy route and just thrown it toward the other Nolan movie that you threw in there. <laughs> we could have. Yeah, he his his other one was Tenet. I think we kind of said a lot enough about I that. I think we said a lot about it. that. <laughs> yeah. It always reminds me of there's a, mo- a Family Guy episode where Brian goes to Hollywood and he gets upset that his friend sells a screenplay that has like it's not like the main actor's name was like John Smith or something and it was like well here's the f- alternative <laughs> like your movie <laughs> main character could be called protagonist and we could take it from there but you're right we don't need to we don't need to go into that um, but yeah man Gary okay I got I gotta ask you man when is Don't Call It a Comeback coming out do you know. I have no idea, dude. I think. Oh, what are we talking about? Well, Gary Axe, in case I didn't mention that earlier, he was uh, amazing in Long Walks on the Beach. And um, I saw that you had a movie on Indiegogo. It's called Don't Call It a Comeback. Um, what the, sh- the shame at all is I think, like, pandemic, just everybody oh, involved. I mean, it was just, like, so. Not mm. to get, like, too, too kind of dark details, but it just was, like, it just hit everybody so hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. I think I was fortunate enough i mean i just was still doing all right but i think other people involved had a lot harder times and so i wish i could say i hope i hope we have a good outcome with that but i I, you know i wish i had better news for sure yeah i just i'm i'm excited man i can't wait to see it so i'll just i'll keep my uh, finger on the dial for that one and then tell us about a best worst cantina which i will link to in the show notes people definitely visit this site and check out their awesome shop And if you guys, um, so we, we just dropped a new comedy album out. I think that's our, our we're so excited about it, called The Dads, Good Kids, Dad City. <laughs> yes, Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's just a dad road trip album that you can't listen to with your kids. Um, it's it's total, terrible. Excellent. I mean, we, we have a dad, Dave Garrison, who uh, gets called on a, on a 2 a.m. that he has to come pick his daughter up in California. And he gets his two buddies, all Dave Jackson and Dave Sampson. To uh, drive out with him, and along the way, they uh, plot to kill Jared Fogle in prison. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Dad yeah. Hollow, where the world's greatest dad competition, and amongst other things, it's a good time. So, Excellent. this is a album you made? Comedy album. Yep. Okay, that's definitely right. in the show notes. We that's get amazing. the links. Yeah, that that needs to happen. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
fantastic. Well, all right, Gary, last question of the day. Um, what movies, what music, what shows, what books, what video games, what kind of entertainment are you enjoying right now? Like, what are you, is there anything that you're just, you know, consuming that you're just absolutely loving that you got to tell people about? Oh, man, I think I rediscovered the Arkham series actually recently. It was like oh. 10 bucks for the three of them. The games, the video games? Those are great. Them, I was like, I had never played them. Oh, they're so good. And I was like, oh my God, I missed out. <laughs> that and then The Wire, dude. I've just like been watching The Wire nonstop. Pandemic. The Wire. Now, okay, so where are you in the Arkham series? I beat it all. Whole game. Everything. All three. I think I think that second game is to Batman video games. The Dark Knight is to Batman movies. It's so freaking good. I was like, this is, this is incredible. I was like, I, I wish I had like, I don't know if I would have graduated high school if I had this back then. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. It was I remember when that came out because there was controversy that every reviewer just said the exact same thing is it's the first game that really makes you feel like you're Batman. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Awesome. Hey, it's true though. Yeah. Yeah, man. Brendan, what about you? What are you uh what are you enjoying these last uh, um, this last week? What we watched why did we watch that movie? I'm trying to think of the the, the, the logic we went through. One of my earliest childhood memories, let me change that. My earliest childhood memories is going on a road trip and being bought a McDonald's toy with the DeLorean from Back to the Future in it. Mm. I should have brought this up a couple podcasts ago. And watching <laughs> um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit in some theater. And I remember I have a vivid memory attached to that memory is seeing mm-hmm. the poster for The Rocketeer and thinking that is a damn cool poster. Yeah. And I have never seen The Rocketeer, so we sat down and watched The Rocketeer last week, and I really enjoyed that movie. Yes, man. dude, it's so good. Oh I gosh. really enjoyed that movie. I'd never seen it. That is the delight of a movie. I think so, it holds up fairly well. Yeah, I think it does too. I did. I, oh, that's what, what triggered it. It was. It was. Uh, I'll find it, and we can throw in the show notes. It was a. It was a video essay on YouTube about how great The Rocketeer is, and just kind of talking about Joe Johnson's career as a director. Makes yeah. a pretty good argument that the first Captain America, the first Avengers, is a is a spiritual sequel. Yeah, I mean, um, when that when that trailer popped for Captain America, and I saw the director was Joe Johnson, I was like, Rocketeer, this is gonna be amazing. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, I've been watching the Netflix Godzilla anime that just came out because I'm you know got a soft spot in my heart for Godzilla. Yes, you do. In all of its weird weirdness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I took my dad out. Finally, took my dad out for Father's Day. We went and got burgers, and and then I took him to go see Edgar Wright's new documentary on the Sparks Brothers. How was that? It was good. I think you would like it a lot more if you were already a Sparks fan, which I knew nothing about them. Yeah, it's a little over long, I think. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about this this group? They're just they're like the uh, they were this humongous like pop writing duo, and they just they never really broke through at all. But they but they've been like, around forever. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. They've made 25 albums from guys like, like you're constantly working, but right, you know, I'd love and, to have and, your career. And as far as yeah. I can tell, doing brilliant stuff. But mm-hmm. the pro- the only problem I have with the documentary is so it starts in 1967, 68, mm-hmm. and it goes to 2020, and we learn about every one of their 25 albums and who produced it and oh, what gosh. inspired it, and it's a little bit long if you're not a fan and want to hear about all 25 of their albums. <laughs> but it was very interesting and I did enjoy it. Most excellent. Yeah. How about you? What are you watching, Nick? 
Um, well, my quest to finish all the Simpsons still goes onward. I'm halfway through season 27. I started season one at the start of the still pandemic. Got a good so. ways to go, man. It's just, I think it's seven seasons to go. I think. I think only seven seasons to go. Only slightly more than most long-running series. Yeah. Well, uh, was... might as well just watch all of Sesame Street. Oh. God. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that website where it's like, how long would it take to binge or something like that, and you could just look at all the shows and just see that. You know, like you could you could never do all of um, almost any soap opera in existence. It's right. gross. Well, um, how long is The Simpsons take to binge? Uh, I Does your wife listen to the podcast much? Is this going to make her mad? No, no, because she, she knows I just I'm watch teasing. it in the bathtub when the day's <laughs> over. <laughs> you are living your best life. <laughs> Somebody has to. Um, <laughs> no, I'm while, jealous. I need to do that more. Yeah, well, while I look up the uh, how long it actually takes to do all the Simpsons. Oh, there it is. 14 days, 6 hours, and 30 minutes to watch every Without single episode sleeping, of Simpsons. Right? Without sleeping, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, gross. Um, so let's see. So there's that. Uh, I've been playing Stardew Valley like crazy. I, I can't stop, man. I'm on year two. I got my farm going. I just, I love that game so that's much. The, the, that's the game I bought for my wife and got her hooked on the Switch. Oh, it was good. good stuff. Yeah. Just, just a blast. Um, and other than that, I'm, I actually finished the second draft of my first novel at one thirty in the morning last night, so I am taking a break from like writing and reading Dude, for just a minute. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. It's How long. old are you? How uh thirty five, that's right. Damn it. <laughs> Dude, you've <laughs> got God. a novel written by thirty five. Yeah. That's that that's great. Yeah. People people spend eighty years talking about how they're gonna finally write their novel. I'm just that's congrats that's on that. That's, that's everybody. Great. Even people have never wrote a single thing in their life. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, you know, the thing is, with, with writing this book, I've learned, and I, this is, so there's a second draft of this, my first book, and I'm about to start the second draft of my other book, which is another series, but um, I have learned that there Wait, is Wait, hold in- on. So you've, you've actually finished the first draft of two novels? Yes. That's what I did during the pandemic. That's great, man. Um, what I've learned is that there is this author subculture of people who crank out books in like three weeks- and they put them on Amazon, and they just have, like, a loyal following. So you'll see these people who have 60, 70 books in six years, and they're making, like, 30, 40 grand a month just selling, like, romance or harem or erotica. It's all the same genre. It's all Fifty Shades. Um, and there's, like, some fantasy guys and some urban fantasy guys. It's just – it's crazy. Like, I had no idea that people were cranking out books at this insane rate and having, like, an incredibly successful career. So that's kind of what I'm looking at doing a little bit, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. Well, shoot. That's what we got. Well, Gary, dude, thank you so much for being on the episode. Freaking A. Loved the uh, – thank you for having Excellent. us watch it again. Um, we'll have to have you on again, man. This was a blast. Awesome, dude. Wonderful. I'd love to be on. Thank you guys so much. Really bet, appreciate man. it. What is the light of a movie, too? Awesome. Good, good pick. Good pick. Awesome. So check out bestworstcantina.com and definitely get the Dad Road Trip comedy album of the century, which is Good Kids, Dad City. We'll catch you all in the next one. Later, guys. Later.